everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. This is Michael Kurz. He's on the other side. Hey, how's it going? This is uh, part two of uh, the podcast. <laughs> I had to stop. I don't know what's going on with my computer. It's freaking out. Uh, we are going to be discussing a Sylvester Stallone double feature from 1989, Lockup and Tango and Cash. Kind of different than what we normally discuss. We usually do horror movies or straight up fillers. But this is kind of an odd mixture. Yeah, I mean, both. Uh, well, I mean, Tango and Cash, I think, is probably the odd one out. It's definitely a comedy first kind of situation, so it definitely does not fit our usual mold. Yeah, well, Tango Cash was not intended to be that way. I've been reading the backstory on it, but we'll get to that in a little bit. So, you want to start on Lockup? Yeah, let's do Lockup first. Yeah, Lockup uh, is maybe one of the few really forgotten Stallone films. Had you ever heard of this before? I have not, actually. Yeah, it's it came out in the summer of 89, just up against so much competition, it just got buried. I think at this point, Stallone was trying to move away from, like, the Rambo, Rocky persona. You know, more articulate. You see this in both movies. You know, more of a nuanced character and not so heavy on the violence, at least in this one. Uh, this one is where he's constantly pushed towards the violence instead of just, like, welcoming it. Yeah, but he still kind of maintains that that, that air of, like, being stronger than pretty much everyone there. Um, just that he's trying to hold it back. Yeah, it, it has a little bit of um, the Rambo thing. The very first First Blood where he doesn't want to get involved in any problems and they just keep pushing him and pushing him. It felt a little bit like that. Yeah. And he, he himself says it, it didn't really do anything for his career and he doesn't care for it, but I think it's actually one of my favorite ones because it is very low-key and different than a lot of his movies. Different from a lot of his movies, but it's not like... I, I don't know. Like I've heard a lot of, I've, like I've read a lot of bad things about it um, when we when you assigned this one, but like I don't get it. It's it's all right. It's it's a decent movie. Yeah, and in box office should not be the judge of, of what it is, but I get the feeling that he's very competitive, especially at this time when he's going to get up against Schwarzenegger, who is just breaking huge. And I bet yeah. you he sees it as a failure because it didn't do well, not because it's not a good movie. Okay, that makes more sense. And I find it really interesting is that he doesn't really have, like, your typical villain in this one. Well, I mean, there is the there is the big muscle guy played by Sonny Landon from Predator. But a lot of it is this mental game that he's playing with Donald Sutherland's warden character. Yeah. And his obsession, his fucking obsession, because this all starts, if you haven't seen the movie, it all starts because... Uh, years earlier, he had escaped jail because his father was dying. He only had two weeks to go, but he desperately wanted to see his father before he died, and, and they just wouldn't let him out. So they gave him another five years on top of that, and he's just about to get out. He's got only a little bit of time left, and Donald Sutherland transfers him to a much, much like hardcore prison, you know, maximum security, and just makes his life fucking torture for revenge. Yeah, and it kind of, like, it is... But for the most for most of the movie is just like I can endure this. I just need two weeks. He can't possibly like make it any worse than it already is, and he just keeps finding ways to fuck with them. Like anytime he finds some uh, joy where he's at, it always gets uh, flipped on him. Yeah, 
and, and just the patience his character has without breaking into violence. I mean, there there's the football thing halfway through the movie, which is kind of a rocky moment, and that gets some. Of his, I was gonna say that's kind of the longest yard. That's kind of what yeah. I was thinking about. Yeah, it got a lot of his rage out, but it's it's shot, you know, like the way that Stallone usually shoots his sports stuff, you know, because uh, he did, uh, of course, the Rocky movies, but he also did a movie called Victory back in 1989 or 81 with. Uh, Michael Caine, which is a soccer <laughs> Nazi movie, it's it's weird. <laughs> um, but I, I just really thought there was really good performances and the tension that they build throughout this. But I think the movie looks great considering it's in one of the most disgusting places in, in history. But you know it, the cinematography and, and the editing and, and using the certain camera angles and stuff like that. I think it made it a really good looking movie. Yeah, uh, it, uh, like I said, it's a it's a fairly decent movie. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It does have, it does seem to kind of rip off the longest yard a bit, including football. But I mean, other than that, it's it's a good one. It's a it's a decent one. I keep thinking while I was watching this, how many times Stallone has made movies in prison, or you know, some sort of some segment because there's a little bit of First Blood. Uh, there's uh, he's in prison in that Frozen prison in Demolition Man, and then there's the Escape Plan. I feel like there's a couple others in there where he just spends a lot of time in jail and prisons. <laughs> yeah, there was one pretty late in his career, but I can't remember that, that one. The uh, really early role for Tom Sizemore, I don't know if this is his first role, but boy, he just shines. He is a fast-talking, untrusting yeah, kind of goofball. Movie. I think he was doing some small things before this, but I think this was his first feature length. Yeah, I actually looked right now. Yes, it literally is his first movie, 1989, yep. Lock Up. Well, what a year. He did also did Born on the Fourth of July. Then uh, he did Blue Steel with Jamie Lee Curtis all within a year. And then, you know, next year it's uh, Point Break. <laughs> so that's a good start. Yeah, it would be propelled into stardom. And, uh, you know, then 10, 15 years later, he's he's playing a, uh, a trucker and it's always sunny in Philadelphia trying to have sex with the main crew. So, you know, that career is just going great. Yeah, well, the drugs. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. that's what did him in was the drugs. Yeah. Well, he was in. Um, oh my God, what was that one? Well, Natural Born Killers, right? Uh, maybe he was. He was in the whole uh, Oliver Stone camp by that point. Maybe. Mm. I feel like I saw interviews with him around that time, uh, where he seemed like he was really on drugs, but I cannot recall. Yeah, I, I, um, I will eventually have to watch it for the show. Uh, but I have not seen it since it was in theaters because it made me so sick of the camera shifting around so much. Yeah, yeah and the constant, like, uh, shifting color schemes. Yeah, I just remember having to look away because I was getting nauseous. Yeah, it'll get me a headache. I don't know why I can't say certain words without using a New York accent. Like, if <laughs> I, I, I just say nauseous. And if a bug comes near me, I'm out in the garden and I go, fuck off, fuck off. <laughs> what the hell? I'm from Indiana, people! <laughs> Um, there is an MVP of the 80s, which no one ever talks about, but he's the big dude Eclipse in this, uh, the one that runs the car fix-up area. Uh, yeah. Frank McRae was all over for a while there, and I just an MVP. He died just last year at age 80, but uh, we're talking like 48 Hours, um, Dillinger, uh, Last Action Hero, uh, he's in Vacation, Red Dawn, License to Kill, The Wizard... Just tons and tons of great movies. Yeah, I don't know the 
special shout out to Donald Sutherland because his villain is a lot different than what you'd expect, especially for a Stallone type movie. He rarely raises his voice. Yeah, that was um, that was he could have. It could have been a shouting match, but he withdrew like all that energy or whatever, and and just and he's not normally his you know that like that. He's usually kind of weird and, and and eccentric, but this one he's just a straight up villain. I thought it was a really good performance. Yeah, it was great. It was very chilling, just like how little humanity that he has yeah. for, for anybody. Oh, just, they, they killed that kid, and he has no... I mean, maybe it wasn't intentional. I think they just planned on scaring the kid. But he, when, he, when he finds out, he's just like, eh, whatever. Yeah. I mean, means <laughs> to an end because he was desperate to keep him in there to torture him, and, and he was going to let him kill the other guy with the weights. He's like, do it. Do it. Yeah, I think, I, I think uh, honestly, what kind of holds it back is, is Stallone. Yeah, maybe because I feel like, especially at the end, they start making it an action movie, and it gets a little yeah. campy. Yeah, and there's that, and also just uh, there's that scene in the garage after he comes out of um, uh, oh man, what is that? Williamson Isolation, where he's like, it's supposed to be this big triumphant speech, and it just like his. It, his inflection was just so bad. It was just, yeah. it was just a bad acting scene. Whatever, it happens. I, I think he kind of helped. He, I think he just held back in this one a little bit. Maybe he didn't have enough faith in the project and just kind of just kind of tapped out halfway through. I don't know. But. Yeah. Well, I noticed if it's an independent production, he tends to hold back because I feel like he's just doing it for the money, like Cobra. And uh, over the top, if you, you they would you know Caracol and those little independent companies would pay a massive amount of money, and you know I just feel like he wasn't as invested like the way he was with some of his projects, especially later like with Copland and stuff like that. Um, but I'll tell you this: his performance in our next film, Tango and Cash, is him deliberately going against everything that you knew about him because everybody treated him like he was a moron because he had that way of talking which isn't his fault he has bell's palsy half his face was you know the lower half of his face whatever was frozen i mean yeah this this movie was really a chance to let him shine for giant just doing everything everything else that you that uh, a lot of directors and writers would not allow him to do yeah like, he, you know he, wear a nice suit and talk about the stock market that's yeah. something that he, that he would never get the chance to do i felt like he was working hard to as, as much as he was physically able to to enunciate yes oh absolutely um I mean, he even calls rambo a pussy yeah he's so, like, <laughs> like, definitely like, going the opposite direction of where his career was headed yeah, but obviously Rambo's not a pussy. It's just his ego was saying that. Also, it's a, just a good joke. But um, so looking at the torturous production here, it had four directors. Um, Andrew Kozlowski, I think that's how you say his name. He did a movie in 1985 that was critically acclaimed, got nominated for an Oscar. I think the only film from Canon Pictures to get nominated for an Oscar was called Runaway Train. And absolutely phenomenal uh, escape from prison movie um and he brought a lot of style and i can see why they hired him for this but he wanted it to be more serious but the producers and the writers whatever just kept pushing it pushing it more towards comedy especially once they realized how much chemistry kurt russell and uh stallone had together and they played off each other really well i don't think all the jokes work and i think it's a little too heavy-handed with some of them like they're just like forcing the jokes instead of just being natural but 
I'm not 100% sure that it would work as a dead serious movie. No, that's kind of the thing about the opening, because I am a huge fan of this movie, but I haven't seen it in years. And so I was like excited, and I started uh, watching it pretty much the same day after we did the last one. And I watched the opening, and I was like, wow, this movie, this movie does not hold up. <laughs> this was not good. And the music is terrible, and the, the, um, the writing's pretty eh, and it's a little forced. And then, you know, once you get to the actual, like, Tango and Cash meeting up, that's really when, like, the magic of the movie happens. Yeah. When it's just, like, these two really charismatic people working together, and they don't, like, hold each other back. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid, I saw this and I bought it as the first thing I could on VHS back when they used to cost like $89 and we got it from like one of those clubs for, you know, like 20 bucks. Watched it over and over and over and then I didn't watch it for a while and we bought one of those collections, you you know, where they have like the four movies, you know, the, oh, the Stallone collection, you know, that kind yeah, of thing. that's the Stallone, that's the, the, the yeah. Yeah, and there's a couple of those, but we got the one that had Tango and Cash in it and I remember watching it called holy fuck, this is a terrible movie. This is ridiculous. But that was like a decade ago, and this time I went back. Now I found like that middle ground where I don't think it's absolutely amazing, but I also don't think it's fucking shit. There's some stuff in it that doesn't make any sense, and I almost just let it go because now it almost seems like it's a spoof. Right, yeah, that's kind of the feeling that, that I got watching it too. Yeah, it was insanely expensive. Not planned to be that expensive. It was $55 million, which I think might have been the most expensive movie ever made at that point. Um, six months later, that would be blown away with Total Recall, but you see it on Total Recall. Um, yeah. Though I do say the action sequences in this are really well done. They look amazing. The editing's great. The, the choreography on some of the stuff really works. What doesn't work for me a lot of the times, like I said, is the jokes. And uh, I think the smart move in this was originally, I guess, the edit was Jack Palance was always going to be the main villain, but they had so much fun with Brian James as the Cockney henchman that they just kept pushing him forward in, in, in the editing or whatever and made him almost the main villain. I think he's highly entertaining. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the problem with just the way that the production was, you know, like as soon as new director comes in and it's like well you know we got Kurt Russell here and he's like incredibly charismatic very funny just has this great on screen presence let's just try to up that and then it's like well not everyone works for that yeah and, and Stallone it, is charismatic but sometimes he's not the best at, he's, not, he's not the best at telling jokes yeah he's the weaker part of this Kurt Russell is fucking chewing this chewing this movie yeah. but he's also he's not dominating it he clearly uh, is a giving enough actor he's always been a giving actor who shares with his cast members uh, but I always shines through too uh, it's, it's a very unique quality and that's why it's even a bad Kurt Russell movie is still good yeah it's really the only one I never really cared for that I can think of um was 2,000 Miles... Is it, no, it's 3,000 Miles at Graceland, but I haven't seen it forever, so I should watch it again and see if I still like... Oof, that was underwhelming. But um, originally it was supposed to be Patrick Swayze, but he dropped out to do the all-time classic Roadhouse. Yeah, better, was, that's probably a better call for him. Yeah, because it, it was a hit and it got him pushed to the forefront, but I, what's better? Is Roadhouse better or is this better? I've never seen Roadhouse, honestly. Okay, I don't... Everybody... There's a thing where I think people get brainwashed 
like this this committee meeting that they all have, I guess, where all of a sudden Roadhouse is a truly fantastic. It's a classic now. It's a classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, like it's it's, it's, it's that thing where people like start to love it ironically and then really push it hard, and so other people just accept that it's a classic, and then there's like, well, I don't want to seem like the dumb one, so I guess I like it too. Yeah, I'm like, not I, cool. I had, I'm that, not I had that with Point Break because I was so underwhelmed by Point Break. I was like, oh, I get okay. Well, I guess this is a classic. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's hive mind mentality sometimes, but um, I do believe this movie is severely flawed, and there's some ridiculous stuff in it. But I'm just so entertained because there is some weird stuff in this. They they cast great character actors. I mean, Robert Zadar has the biggest fucking face I've ever seen in my life, but his performance is bigger. Oh, so entertaining! You broke that jaw. Yeah, it did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, when this movie is at its best, it's definitely like one of one of the greatest uh, buddy cop movies. Uh, unfortunately, it's not. It's probably it's not at its best most of the time. Unfortunately, yeah. But I, I like I, like they had Clint Howard in there as Slinky Boy. They have his cousin, I think his cousin Owen, who uh, puts together all those crazy gadgets. Honestly, if they were going to make a sequel to this, I don't really give a shit about Sloane's character. Tango is boring. I want to see yeah. more of the goofball Cash. You know, Kurt Russell and his own—he would be like the redneck version of James Bond. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, I think that's—I would say probably the prison scene is really—it's like when this movie really hits its stride. Yeah, definitely. Like the whole sequence, including the breakout, all of it, and then after that, it. When they kind of break off, it's again starts to kind of slow down, and it doesn't quite hit that peak. Yeah, I think the ending, though. Oh my god, I think almost all the movie must have been put on the ending. Holy shit! <laughs> Building that vehicle alone must have been expensive. But then you just got them just jumping all over the place. Everything is exploding. Everything is exploding. I've never seen. Um, I, they're not called squibs. What, what's the flare? The, the flash that comes out of a gun is it called flashbang or something like that? Whatever it is, it's the biggest fucking flame I've ever seen come out of a gun. It's like a four foot flame. And I'm like, holy shit! Oh, and then there's the kung fu sequence, and, and then the, the oh the mirror. The, the mirror thing where they both find different reasons to know which one is the real Jack Palance. Mm-hmm. Is it Jack Palance or is it Jack Palance? Does anybody know? I think it's, I think both ways are acceptable. Yeah. Um, yeah just like, there's a lot of like little things that are that are great. So I love the uh, one that, that, again, this is all just cash because cash is great. You know? um, but he always has a bulletproof vest even if he's going home. If he's just hanging out at his home and having one of those on, uh, just because I guess he's just so dangerous and he's at risk at all times. And then he has a gun in his boot um, <laughs> that he can shoot. That is awesome. Yeah, there's like tons of like these little details that are just so great about it. I can't believe his aim is that good with a boot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the uh, when I was in high school, I had this horrible crush on a girl whose favorite band was Yazoo. And the only reason I knew who they were was because they had a song in this. It's what his sister, Terry Hatcher, is dancing to. And um, she's like, oh, really? I want to see this movie. She watched it. She came back and she goes, this isn't a dance movie. I go, no. Why did you? Because I didn't give her the cover. I just gave her the tape in like one of those hard plastic shells. So she had no clue what it was, but she was not happy. (laughs) Yeah, I I can see that. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah, this this is definitely feels like the last. I think it literally is the last movie of 1989, the last movie of the 80s, and it just sums up all the excess of the 80s, doesn't it? Yeah, again, like you said, it, it does feel a little bit like it, it, it's kind of parody, but it's also kind of a celebration of these ridiculous tropes as well. Yeah. Um. So, anything else you want to say about the two movies before we go? Uh, no, I I, actually, I enjoyed both. All right, well, it's going to be back to the thrillers on the next episode. I'll uh, quietly tell him behind the scenes, okay? Shh! Um, And that is it for us. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter and all the podcast hosts under Hit Rewind. And that is it, everybody. Have a good night. Have a good night.